Yo, Ryan Hartley here from Always Better Than Yesterday. Before we dive into episode 125 with my awesome guest, I just wanted to let you know that we have one place available in our Master Heart and Mind Leadership Group Coaching Program here at Always Better Than Yesterday. We are a group of heart-centered leaders from all around the world who come together every week to grow in our hearts and our minds. As we grow as leaders, we will leave a legacy where our teams our organizations and our communities are left that little bit better than they were yesterday. We to say we come together every week, we grow in our hearts and minds, we support each other, we love each other tough, we encourage each other. And if you're looking for a group of like-hearted individuals to grow with, then we'd love to hear from you. Email me at ryanbhartley at gmail.com or head to ryanhartley.com co.uk to find out more about our master heart and mind. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Here's episode 125. I hope you're ready for this one. It's so good. So the last thing Mr. Jackson told me in August of 2009, when I was getting on the prison bus to be shipped off to go serve my life sentence, he looked at me and he said, West, go out there go be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean, Ryan. Four words. I mean, if this old man is shooting me straight, that means that the power's inside me. It's not in the hands of the criminal justice system, the guards, the other inmates. I mean, not unless I give it to them. If the power's truly inside me, that means no matter what environment I'm dropped off in, even a maximum security prison, no matter what adversity I face, I won't just survive. I will thrive. And I got my chance to find out prison was the hardest thing I've ever been. But that's where I learned about the coffee bean story in that show. Yo, Ryan Hartley here, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Welcome to the interview sessions where I put my curious questions to inspiring people. This is episode 125. These interview sessions are brought to you by our great friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. If this is the first time that you're spending time with us here at the Always Better Than Yesterday community, thank you for taking time out of your day. Thank you for pushing play. What I hope to give you over the next 30 to 40 minutes is just some inspiration that will ultimately leave you better than you were yesterday in some way, in your heart and in your mind. What we believe here at Always Better Than Yesterday is that we want to create a world where people are someone that they love. They do more of what they love and they serve those that they love. And the legacy of having more heart-centered leaders who live and love and lead like that is a world that is always better than yesterday. So, Here we go, episode 125. I am joined by Damon West. In 2009, Damon was sentenced to 65 years in prison. I won't say too much. I want you to hear it from him in a second. 65 years in prison. Now, he shares his message of be a coffee bean all around the world. He is testimony to that that change and transformation starts from the inside out. It's an incredible story. I really urge you just to 
share this with someone, share this with your audience, share this with your network, share this with someone that you love. They're going to want to hear Damon's story, especially after you've heard this. It's incredible. Let me know, screenshot it, tag us both in wherever you are on social media and um, really let us know what resonates with you. I'd love to know what you're going to implement as a result of listening to the next 40 minutes. I hope it serves you well. I'm Ryan Hartley, your host, and this is episode 125 with Damon West. Damon, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm well, man. Thank you for having me today. Hey, what's the weather? What's the temperature like where you are right now? It's about 10 degrees Celsius, which is better than it has been. You know, it's not a patch on where you are, my friend. Tell us about how it is at the moment in Texas. Uh, Texas is, I mean, it's frigid right now. We're not used to, obviously, we're not used to weather. Uh, What what are we, about 30 degrees Fahrenheit? What is that Celsius? What does that translate to Celsius-wise? Who knows? But um, basically, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of us are without power in Texas, the entire state. It looks like it's entire, it's all frozen. But hey, you know what, man? I got to look at where, where the opportunities are in adversity, man. This is an adverse situation. So what are the opportunities? And I woke up today and it's your podcast, brother. So I'm happy to be here. Amazing. I'm so grateful. And uh, I, I came across you and your work through John Gordon. Uh, people watching this podcast listening to will, will remember John from episode 77 and, and 113 when he came on with Catherine and in the book the coffee bean he talks about how he came across your work through speaking with Dabo Sweeney and how it was one of the most transformational stories that he has ever heard and that the world needs to hear and I'd just be honored and privileged to hear a bit more about your backstory if you will yeah so <clears throat> it's interesting Dabo Sweeney Debo Swinney and John Gordon, two guys that have done more in my life than mm. probably about anybody else. Um, but the way it came about is, uh, so, so <clears throat> I grew up in, a, in Texas and I grew up playing high school football down here. And, and I don't know how much, you know, y'all ever heard about Texas high school football, but it's a really big deal. They, 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 they value football in a disproportionate way down here. A little bit, it's a little bit weird. But, um, but anyway, I was a star football player in high school had some issues with substance abuse, but as long as I, you know, keep playing ball, everything was good. Got to college, playing college football. I uh, got hurt and during my, my redshirt sophomore year when I was 20 years old playing college football. So never played again. Uh, got into more hardcore drugs, cocaine, ecstasy pills, you name it. But I was still functioning. I'm a, I'm a functional addict at this point. And um, got, graduated college. I went off to start working in the United States Congress. I worked in the Capitol building. Um, Worked for a guy running for president. And then, you know, when he dropped out of the race in 2004 for president, I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job as a broker, Ryan, that I was uh, introduced to methamphetamine for the first time. Mm. And, you know, and I had done a lot of drugs. I mean, I, I'd been very experimental. And, and I've, you know, I've, I'm, I'm definitely at this point in 2004 a cocaine addict. But when I was introduced to meth, man, it was a, one of those game-changing experiences, man, because that drug, I mean, it, I tell audiences all the time, that is the most, uh, it, it's, it's the most dangerous, most addictive thing I've ever come across in my life. I mean, it, it grabs a hold of whoever it touches and doesn't let go. It's like a live wire. Mm-hmm. And I gave away everything for that drug, Ryan. I mean, my job, my home, my car, my savings account, my family, 
I tethered into God. I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets of Dallas. I'm homeless. I'm living, living in abandoned buildings. I'm sleeping in people's cars. I'm living in dope houses with the dope fiends. And I start committing simple property crimes at first to fund my addiction. You know, I, I'm breaking into cars. I'm breaking into storage units. And eventually, I start breaking into people's homes. And not just that, but I started, I put together a burglary crew. I mean, I put together a crew of thieves. And I was ahead of an organized crime ring. And we were committing burglaries. They called these burglaries the Uptown Burglaries uh, for uh, the Uptown neighborhood of Dallas, really affluent neighborhood of Dallas. But it was one of those crimes where they actually gave a name to because it got to be so big and so publicly known. And um, on July 30th, 2008, after three years committing property crimes against the people of Dallas, a Dallas SWAT team came and got me out of an apartment I was in. I was, I was sitting on the couch of this apartment and I've got my meth dealer sitting next to me, this guy named Tex. And I'm telling Tex, hey, Tex, man, I think the cops about to come get me. I don't even know if you want to be here right now. Mm. Just as I turned to Tex and was telling him this, my window shattered on my right and blew up, man. And it, coming through my window was this little flashbang grenade, smoking on one end, blows up in my face. Cops start flooding in the apartment. And I heard one of them scream out, we got him. We got the uptown burglar. The uptown burglar, Ryan. I mean, that was, you know... I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter how many people's lives I can possibly impact with this message of being a coffee bean, which is which is a huge message. But I'll never escape that name, that moniker, the Uptown Burger. And that's what not, I don't know if everybody knows that the Uptown Burger, I mean, the, the guy from the coffee bean story was once known as the Uptown Burglar. But it was when I was in Dallas County Jail after I'd been arrested. And um, I was in there, you know, waiting for my day in court. And it took him about 10 months to prepare me for trial. And at the end of 10 months, it was uh, May 18th, 2009, you know, the SWAT team raid was about 10 months before that. I'm standing in front of a jury of my peers in Dallas County. And, and in America, we have a 12-person jury system. And this jury, Ryan, has listened to so much overwhelming evidence of my guilt that it took them 10 minutes to come up with a sentence. Ten, I mean, 10 minutes. I mean, it's like, I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. You're in trouble. <laughs> Big trouble, big trouble, man. So I came back in the courtroom. The judge read the sentence out. It was 65 years. It was a life sentence. A jury sentenced me to life in prison on May 18, 2009. And, uh, man, that was what I call my rock bottom moment. And, that you know, I live in the world of addiction and recovery. And, and rock bottom is a place where you get to where you, you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You feel like you can go no further. That was rock bottom for me. I knew that something had to change and that something was me, but I didn't know how. Right after the trial was over, uh, they gave my parents one last visit with me. They put me in this room with a bulletproof glass. They put them on the other side. Um, my mom and dad come in. And my mom, uh, you know, she only, they get five minutes with me. So she's like, hey, she's talking quickly. She's like, hey, listen. She said, you know, she's like, debts in life demand to be paid. She said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas, but you owe that debt to Texas. She said, but you owe your father and I debt too. She said, we gave you all the opportunity, love and support to be anything you want to be in life. She said, so here's the debt you're gonna to pay to us. When you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She said, it's not gonna work. You were never raised to see race and you're not gonna start now. And um, she said, you will not get any tattoos while you're in there. I mean, I, tell, I show people my arms all the time. So she told me, she said, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. This is tough love coming from my mom. And um, 
she said, do you understand this debt you're going to pay? And I was like, yeah, mom, I got it. But I mean, Ryan, what do I know about prison? I'm a white middle-class guy in America. I don't, I've never been to, I don't know anybody that's ever been to prison. So I get back to my pod in Dallas County Jail and I'm asking all these guys that had been to prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talk to, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they're telling me the same thing, man. You got to get into a gang. You can't survive without a gang. They tell you that lie, that, that lie that says the gang is your family. The gang will take care of you. But there was this one guy, this older black man named Mr. Jackson. And here's where the coffee bean story comes in. Mr. Jackson was an older black guy in Dallas County Jail, probably in his 60s. I never got Jackson's real age. Uh, he's what you call a career criminal. Jackson was in and out of prison all of his life, four or five times. You know, he could never get it right for himself, but he was the most positive guy I've ever met in my life. And one morning, Mr. Jackson came up to me, just like he did every morning, you know, drinking his cup of coffee with a smile on his face. He said, you know, Wes, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies. Talk about you got to get into a gang. He said, don't listen to these fools. He said, but let me tell you what prison is going to be like. And that's what he tells me. He's like, look, man, you're going to you're going to have to go in there. He said, everything in prison is about race. He said, so because it's about race, when you walk in the door, the white gangs get the first dibs on you. The Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods. He said, you got to fight them all. He said, uh, if you survive all that and you don't give into their ideology of hate out of fear. And you know, he talked about fear a lot, you know, kind of like my co-author, a good friend, John Gordon. John talks about fear and faith all the time. And John mm -hmm. says, John says fear and faith have more in common than the letter F to begin with. He said fear and faith both believe in a future that hadn't even happened yet. Fear is a negative future. Faith is a positive future. So John's always telling people choose faith over fear. That's kind of what Mr. Jackson is telling me that day. He said, so don't give, in to, don't give in to the white gangs out of fear, but get ready because after that, then the black gangs are coming after you. The Crips and the Bloods, the gangster disciples, the Mandingo warriors. He said, you have to fight them all. He said, but if you survive all that and you can survive all that, you'll earn the right to walk alone. He said, the strongest man in prison always walks alone, doesn't join a gang. And um, so he's, he's looking at me and he's telling me this stuff. He tells me something that day too about fighting. He says, you don't have to win all your fights but you do have to fight all your fights. And that's been a huge lesson in life. It, it's, all, it's, it's something I apply almost daily in my life. Even, in fact, with what's going on right now in Texas with this uh, frost coming over, this big freeze that we're under. I mean, look, I mean, we're losing some of our battles here, but, but I don't have to win all those. I just got to keep fighting. And so, but when he's telling me this that day in 2009, you can see that there's a lot of fear in my eyes. And that's what he said, hang on. He said, Wes, I'm losing you here. Let me, let me break it down for you another way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put in this pot of boiling water is gonna be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm gonna put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he said, first things first. He said, if I put a carrot in that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And you know, Ryan, I was like, a carrot turns soft, Mr. Jackson. I mean, that's what carrots do. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into the water hard, but the water, the prison, changes that hard carrot, turns it soft, he said, the carrot got beat, he got robbed, he got raped, and he may have gotten killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot. He said, what about the egg, West? And I was like, well, the egg turns hard, Mr. Jackson, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right. He said, the egg is a shell that protects it physically, but inside that shell, that soft liquid core, the egg's heart becomes hard. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you become institutionalized. And you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. Mm. And that's when he asked me, he said, what about the coffee bean? 
And I had no clue, Ryan. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of boiling water, right? And that's when he shared with me the most important lesson I've ever learned. Because he said, if I put a coffee bean into that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now, now you got to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean, West, the smallest of these three things, he said small like you, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power was inside the coffee bean, just like the power is inside of you. And he said everybody in life puts out energy, negative or positive. He said whatever kind of energy we put out, we attract back. It's called the law of attraction, and it works. He said, so if you want to walk around prison all the time with a frown on your face and a mean mug, you want to try to look hard, what you're going to do is attract the hardest people to you because your negative energy attracts them. He said, but conversely, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know they're not getting to you, no matter what they do, they can't break you. He said, you will change prison from the inside out. And he said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they'll find you because of your energy. Mm-hmm. So the last thing Mr. Jackson told me in August of 2009, when I was getting on the prison bus, to be shipped off to go serve my life sentence. He looked at me and he said, West, go out there and go be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean, Ryan, four words. I mean, if this old man is shooting me straight, that means that the power's inside me. It's not in the hands of the criminal justice system, the guards, the other inmates. I mean, not unless I give it to them. And if the power's truly inside me, that means no matter what environment I'm dropped off in, even a maximum security prison, no matter what adversity I face, I won't just survive, I will thrive. And I got my chance to find out why prison was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. But that's where I learned about the coffee bean story in a nutshell right there. That's really powerful. And, and, I, and I, I don't think we can underestimate the adversity you'd have had to go through. You know, we, we have the experience of speaking and hearing from you now. So it's obviously not 65 years in, in prison and, and you must have uh, served your time. Um, but I'd love to know. I've heard in a talk that you talk about the difference between your prayer when you're in the county jail and then the prayer that you'd say now. And how has prayer life changed for Damon West? That's a very good question, Ryan. I mean, that's, and uh, so, and I talk about addiction and recovery a lot. Um, I'm an addict and I'm always going to be an addict. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a drunk, I'm a drug addict, but today I'm in a program of recovery and, and I've been in, yeah, I've been sober since that SWAT team came to get me on July 30th, 2008. But I tell people all the time, there's a difference between being sober <clears throat> and being in recovery. Big difference. Um, being sober means you just, you, you've stayed clean. And, but being in a program of recovery means you actively, work, you actively work a program of recovery where you've surrendered to what you call your higher power. And so in recovery, they call it a higher power too, because they allow people of different faiths to, or no faith at all to come into the program recovery. Because we in addiction, we don't want to lose people just because they don't believe the same way we do. We want them to have access to a program recovery. So people can call their higher power whatever they want. I'm a Christian, so I call it Christ. But everybody else can have their own thing in the, in the 12-step program. But in this 12-step program, one of the things I learned how to do was pray. And, and it took me until 2011 in prison to get into that program, that 12-step program of recovery. Um, when I was in Dallas County Jail, for example, you know, my mom had, had you know, I had a conversation with my mom, uh, and she told me to get back in touch with God, and that I was a, cap- a captive audience to God, I better start listening, and so I did, I prayed, you know, almost nightly in Dallas County Jail, but my prayer, Ryan, I mean, I would pray, I'd, I'd be like, hey, God, get me out of this one, and if you do, you know, I'm bargaining with God, I'll be a normal guy again, I'll go get a job, and I'll just smoke meth on the weekends, you know, I, I didn't, 
I didn't get it because that's the, the prayer of an addict. The prayer of the addict is to be able to get high again and to have this fallacy of control because addicts, we have this idea that we have control over things and we don't. We don't control these things. Uh, we have no control over our addiction. So I didn't know much about recovery in 2009, but in 2011, I got into a program recovery, a 12-step program recovery, and I learned how to pray. And my prayer today is the same prayer that I learned how to pray in recovery in 2011 in, in uh, the Mark Stiles Union Prison. And it's this, man, it's a two-part prayer. I said it this morning when I got up and I say it every day. It's the only thing I ask God for. And I say, hey, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you. And let me recognize it when I see it. And that's it. I don't ask God for anything else because, you know, in my faith, Ryan, I, I, I believe that if I take care of what God needs me to do for him, that he'll take care of my needs too. Not my wants, but my needs. Needs and wants are two different things. But I think my life has been a testament to the fact that God has met all my needs head on. Uh, he has provided for me. I mean, you know, and we get tested all the time on our faith. And coronavirus was another one of those, those times that uh, was, it was difficult. But um, drawing from the lessons of recovery, drawing from the lessons of being a coffee bean, I always get back to what I call the secret of faith. And I learned this from a, a chaplain, a little prison chaplain lady in, in prison, a, little, a lady named Ms. D. Doucette. Ms. D. was about 84 years old, a little bitty woman, but she had a powerful message. And she told me one day the secret to faith. And the secret to faith, she said, was this. She said, if you're going to pray, don't worry. But if you're going to worry, don't pray. You can't have it both ways. You know, you're either going to let God drive the car or you're going to drive it. So that's been kind of my mantra. And when I get away from that is when I get into trouble. So I always got to stay close to that and let God do his thing and I'll do mine. I love that. And it's been, you know, if we reflect, it's been 10 years since you got onto that recovery program. And just, I love the way that you you show glory to God for the transformation that's happened within you. But I don't think for one second it's been easy. And I just love to know, what has been some adversity that, that you've had to go through throughout maybe that time in prison that's really um, tested your faith, tested your ability to, to be that coffee bean that Mr. Jackson <clears throat> charged you to be? Yeah, you know, whenever I was in prison, um, I, about six weeks into it, that's when, and that's when Ms. D shared, shared with me the secret to faith thing. I had a lot of uh, difficulty understanding God, what God was trying to do, especially mm -hmm. with prison being such a nefarious awful evil place um but um one of the things i learned so when we start when we have our 12-step meetings we start off with this prayer called the serenity prayer and the serenity prayer is it's a beautiful i don't know if you've ever heard the serenity prayer but it goes like this says god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference so i go into a meeting in prison. It's one of these 12-step meetings one Wednesday morning. We meet every Wednesday morning in prison at, at 7.30 in the morning in the prison chapel. And I get in there, the guy that brings the meeting in has a chalkboard behind him, and he draws a line from one side of the chalkboard to the other. And he says, today we're going to diagram the serenity prayer. And he said, this line represents God's line. And he said, God's line, Damon, is infinitely long. It's bigger than the chalkboard. It's one horizon universe and next. He said, so he said, stay off of God's line. He said, God doesn't need your help playing his role. And every time you try to touch something off of God's line, you hurt yourself and you hurt other people. And he said the first part of the prayer, he said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And he said, the things you cannot change are on God's line. Stay off of God's line. Then he went and erased a little inch 
at a God's line. He held his fingers up an inch apart. And he said, that line represents your line. He said that one inch line is what he said, he called humility. Because he says humility is defined as being right-sized. And he said, when we're right-sized, then we can be useful to other people. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he said the second part of the prayer, the courage to change the things I can. He said, the things you can change, the, th- the things God allows you to work on are on your little one-inch line. And he said, there's four things you can change. That's it. The four things you control are what you think, what you say, what you feel. And he said, most importantly, everybody's going to see your actions, what you do, what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. And he said, the last part of the prayer was the most important for us addicts is the, the last part. The wisdoms know the difference between the big line and the little line. And I get so hung up on that. It's still in my life to this day, Ryan. I mean, I'll have to remind myself, you know, 20, 30 times a day, that's not on my line, David. That's not on my line. It's not on my line. You know, focus on your line. And that's the thing, man. That was the thing that was a big difference maker for me was having a formula, almost a matrix to plug a decision into. Like, okay, if it's not what I think, say, feel, or do, I don't control it. And so if I don't control it, if I spend any time trying to focus on that, if I spend any time trying to, to control that, I'm wasting time. And time is the most precious resource I have. Mm. It almost became like a mathematical formula for me. It still is to this day. If I'm spending any time on those things I don't control, then I'm wasting time. It's the most precious resource I have. So focus on the things you do control. And really the things we control are responses to what goes on around us. You know, coronavirus, uh, a freeze going on in Texas right now, you know, focus on the things we do control. And that's, that's how I live my life. Right? I live my life trying to focus on what I think, what I say, what I feel and what I do. That's really powerful. And I know that you give the uh, the coffee bean talks to schools, to professional sports teams. And I heard you um, talk um, in a, recently about the fork in the road days. What, what do you mean by those fork in the road days? Yeah, those fork in the road days, you know, Life's going to knock you down some days, Ryan, so hard that when you get back up and dust yourself off, the whole world looks different. Things are in different places, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get, coronavirus was a big one for the whole world. You know, we went to bed one night in March, got up, and the world stood still. But we got choices to make. You got to keep going. You know, you're going to make the, you know, you're going to stand at that fork in the road, and you're going to either make the right choice, go the right way, or the wrong choice, go the wrong direction. And those fork in the road days are days that your life is going to change because of a choice that you make when adversity is at hand. And this is what I, I, t- I talk to people all the time about belief systems. You know, our belief systems tell us how to do something over and over again. That's what we do. That's what we're conditioned. We grow up and we start from a young age with belief systems. Now, here's the deal. If you have good belief systems and your adversity hits, then you're going to probably make good choices. You're in a good position. But if you have a bad belief system, your bad belief systems control the way you think, then when adversity hits, your belief systems are going to kick in. You better buckle up because those bad belief systems will steer you down the wrong choice at the fork of the road almost every single time. And here's what I learned about belief systems. They're very hard to change. A belief system by, by its nature is not something easy to change. And, and the reality is a bad belief system usually wins out in the end. They're mm-hmm. very hard to change our belief systems. And that's, what, no, that's one of the things I talk to people all the time about is that if you have bad belief systems, you know, just because they're very hard to change doesn't mean you can't change them, but you have to work at it actively. You know, when I was in prison, I had to get up every day inside that prison and, and convince myself 
that this was an opportunity, that prison wasn't a punishment. Prison was an opportunity, an opportunity to work on myself. You know, so I'd wake up every day in a dungeon. My feet would hit the cold concrete floor of the prison cell. And I'd say it out loud, hey, God, thanks for this opportunity. And I would, you know, I didn't believe it at first, but eventually I did because I changed my belief systems. Wow. That's really powerful. Here at Always Better Than Yesterday, I help our community lead with love. Um, and we know that love casts out fear. But, you know, I, I have the luxury of being able to do that in a free world where it's almost seen as a nice thing to do to be able to lead with love and do more of what we love. How did you lead with love and not fear in prison? Like, how did you apply some of these principles that... <laughs> It must have been tough. I'd love to hear some of the ways with which you turned prison into your own coffee, coffee, because we know that you're sat here now, you got out and I'd, I just, I'd love to know why you think you were able to uh, leave prison having served your time. Um, how would you, how would you describe yeah, so, that? So <clears throat> November 16, 2015 was the day I left prison. And the parole board came to visit me. And the lady from parole was looking at my file about 30 seconds. She, she slammed it shut, pushed it away from her. And she said, Mr. West, I'm going to be honest with you. She said, we don't see a lot of people come through state prison like you. She said, you had every opportunity, every privilege, every advantage in life. And you burned through all of that. You became a meth addict. You became a thief. You became a criminal. You became someone who created victims. And a jury gave you life in prison for the things you did. She said, but instead of letting that life sentence define you, she said, you came to this prison and you changed yourself inside this prison. She said, matter of fact, you changed the entire prison around you. And she said, so I have one question for you today. So, so Ryan, here it is. One question decides whether or not I go home or stay in prison. And she said, if you could be remembered for being anything in this life, anything at all, she said, give it to me in just one word, go. And man, you talk about an easy question for a coffee bean to answer. And so before I tell you what my answer was to her, let me tell you how I did it inside this prison. The five ways that I tell people all the time about becoming a coffee bean, even in a maximum security prison, these rules apply, especially in a maximum security prison. So they'll apply anywhere. The first rule about being a coffee bean and changing your environment is about your positive body language, your energy. You know, that means everywhere you go, you smile. And your smile, even if it works even by yourself, and your smile, your brain releases endorphins when you smile. It's a chemical that makes you feel good. Now you got something to give. And whenever people see you smile, they usually smile back. You know, your, your smile radiates and, and, it, and it's, it's a chain reaction type deal. And so even in a maximum security prison, I smiled everywhere I went. And, and it started changing the energy in these rooms, these cells, these cell blocks that I was on. And people noticed, parole even noticed. So your positive body language is so important. Second rule was getting up every day and working out on myself in three areas, spiritually, mentally, and physically. I was locked up with guys in prison that could play professional football. They could play professional basketball. But all they did was work out on their bodies. They didn't work out on their minds. They didn't work out on their soul. So if you want to be a complete person, you want to be a coffee bean, you got to work out on all three, you know. And that prayer that I say now, that's my spiritual workout in the morning. That gets me in the right place. And your mental workout is it's everything you put in this big brain of yours up here. All the, all the books you read, the videos you watch, the TV you watch, the, the social media you you, you you follow, what do you post and who are you following? Uh, and then physical is, is how we take care of ourselves. We, we, we've got one body in this life. And we've got to take care of that. So spiritually, mentally, and physically, you know, get in shape every day. 
The third rule about being a coffee bean was understanding what the secret to life was. And the secret to life is called servant leadership. Servant leadership, Ryan, it, it, it's, about, it's about helping other people achieve their goals in life, helping to raise other people up to a different station of life. Because when we're helping other people, that's when we're at our best. And we have to be on the lookout every day for ways that we can help other people and serve other people. Yeah, you know, we have got to find ways to serve other people, especially now. I mean, right now, what's going on in the world, so many people are coming in need. And what are you doing every day to meet the needs of other people? And that's how the world works. The fourth rule about being a coffee bean was those four things you control in life. What you mm -hmm. think, say, what you feel, and what you do. So important because there's, there's where your time is. Your time calculation is in, did you waste your time today trying to control things that weren't yours to control? Because if you did, then you can't do that. You can't waste that time. You'll never get that time back. The fifth rule about being a coffee bean is that your past doesn't define you. You know, and I remind myself of this all the time. And because if my past was, you know, the determining factor to find me, you wouldn't be on a podcast with me right now. You wouldn't be on the podcast with some ex-con from Texas talking about the things you learned. But it's because mm. our past is our lesson. And we can not only learn from our past, but we can teach other people with it. It's a very valuable tool, your past, when harnessed the right way. Your past is your lesson. The present today is a gift, but not a gift for you. It's that gift that you have for humanity, for the world. You know, that's your gift that you have every day. And the future is your motivation. And I tell people all the time to motivate themselves with the right things, so the, the pure things, the honest things, the good things, unselfish, honest, pure, and loving, you know, Find ways to motivate yourself with the right stuff. Because here's the deal. And, and look, you can take this warning I'm about to give you from the perspective of the guy that spent almost 10 years in a maximum security prison or the fact that, you know, in the, in the five years since I've been out of prison, I went back to school and got my master's in criminal justice. And now I'm a, prof I'm a professor at the University of Houston downtown. And I teach a class. Ryan, I teach a class called Prisons in America. And I mean, what world does that happen? I was in a prison in America five years ago serving life, but today I teach college students around America about this. But I can tell you without a doubt that if you don't, if you don't put your value, your self-worth, if you don't identify yourself with the right things in life, then you run the risk of becoming a prisoner in your mind. Mm. And I'm going to tell you something, the hardest prison that I've ever seen in America, the hardest place to do time in the world is the prison in your mind. I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison because more people are imprisoned by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. Wow, it's such a powerful story, my friend. I'm really glad that we got to spend time together. I just love to know what the phrase always better than yesterday means to you. Oh man, look man, today is full of possibilities. I hear always better than yesterday, man. Today is full of possibilities. And, and it's it's your it's your almost like your do-over that you get. Every 24 hours you wake up, you get a do-over. In recovery, you know, we you, I see people that come into the rooms of recovery and, and there'll, there'll be people that are just, you know, they're looking at the enormity of never drinking again or never doing drugs. And they'll they'll say, Man, I don't know, Damon, if I I, I can't do it for the rest of my life. And, and we tell people all the time. Don't look at it for the rest of your life. Just look at it for today. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have to do it today. That's it. And they have a restaurant uh, here in Texas called Joe's Crab Shack. And they have a sign at that in front of that restaurant outside, Ryan. And the sign says, free crabs tomorrow. 
And every day that you go to that restaurant, it says free crabs tomorrow. You never get the free crabs, right? And so I tell people all the time, man, hey, just tell yourself that you're going to drink tomorrow, you know, and don't drink today. And um, mm. when you start building up these little collection of one day at a time, these little chunks of 24 hours of sobriety, I mean, that shows you that it's always better than yesterday. You know, you're building on something. But the thing we have, that power we have inside of us of being a coffee bean, that's what it means to me, always better than yesterday, because you have this power inside you to even when you're having a bad day, Ryan, you can start your day over anytime you want. It doesn't matter if it's nine o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night. You can start, you having a carrot day, you're having an egg day, take a step back, take a deep breath and say, you know what? I don't have to live like that. I don't want to ruin this day. I don't want to waste this day. Having a bad day is a choice and you choose to have a bad day or you choose to have a good day. And then you can run and jump in that pot of boiling water called life and tell life, you know what? Turn it up. I got this. Mm. I'm a coffee. And the longer the coffee bean sits in the pot of boiling water, Ryan, the stronger the pot of coffee is going to be. I don't care if that's in the UK or the US. Man. Amen to that, brother. I love it. It's such a great story. And um, yeah, I feel really grateful and honored to, to hear it from your from yourself. And so others that are watching, that are listening, they can check out The Coffee Bean, co-written with, with John Gordon. And you've written your own book as well, The Change Agent, also available on, on Amazon here in the UK. So yeah, just to urge people to go and, and check out more about you, your story, and how can they connect with you? How can they find out more about what you're doing in the world? Yeah, I mean, you can my, find me through my website, damonwest.org. Um, and then uh, my books are available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever wherever books are sold. Yeah, um, I got a new book that just came out in December with John called The Coffee Bean for Kids. So we have a kid's oh. book, kid's version that came out too. So yeah, anywhere books are sold. But yeah, damonwest.org. Uh, my social media is Twitter and Instagram at Damon West seven. So that's where you can find me. Brian, thanks for today, man. Thanks for letting me on, uh, on your show today. Thank you so much for being here. I'd be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from yourself. So here's the deal. Life is like a pot of boiling water, right? That's what Mr. Jackson told me. And you get three choices of how you're going to respond to life every single day. And that's what I was telling you all a while ago. You get, you get to choose what you want to be. You know, life is going to beat us down. We are going to have days where we are like the carrot. Ryan, man, I had a, I had a carrot day this past week. I mean, I'm living in a, in a permafrost down here in Texas. Then you're going to have days that are going to be like the egg days. And they're going to make you hard and mad and mean and miserable. And you know what? That's human nature. That's human emotion. You're going to have that. But like I said, you have this choice to stop your day anytime you want, start it over, and be like that coffee bean. And so many people around you are waiting for that inspiration, that spark, that coffee bean. And if not you, then who, right? So don't wait for somebody else to be that coffee bean. You go run and jump in that pot of boiling water call life and show everybody around you, you know, to turn it around, be like that coffee bean every single day. Because, you know, even if no one else sees you being a coffee bean that day, you will feel it and it'll make your day better. You know, we control our positive body language so have positive body language everywhere you go and go out there and go be a coffee bean. Go be a coffee bean. I love the legacy of the words that were passed to you and the duty that you now and sharing that with other people. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. Ryan, thanks a lot, man. I really enjoyed it, brother. Thank you. There we go. What an incredible conversation there with Damon West. Go and check out the books. Go and check out 
Damon's story, uh, even more detail on his website, on YouTube videos. It's incredible. I really hope that you've taken something, something from that to your heart and to your mind. Be a bit more conscious about how you go about your days. Will you choose to be a coffee bean? Will you be empowered to transform your surroundings starting within? I love it. I love these conversations so much. I hope you'll join us next week when I have another amazing guest join. In the meantime, please do subscribe. Please do share, leave a review. um, And I'm grateful that you've even pushed play. I'll speak to you soon. Always love. Thank you.